Amen. Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14. And uh, we're going to continue our series this morning as we've been thinking about the theme of proclaiming the gospel in the book of Acts. And we've been looking at Paul's first missionary journey, which is recorded for us in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at verses 19 to 23, but I'm going to be in reading for us in verse 8, and I will read through to verse 23. Uh, And these verses here capture Paul's ministry in the city of Lystra. And so we've considered some of this already, and uh, we're going to continue to look at Paul's ministry in the city of Lystra. So Acts chapter 14, I'll begin reading uh, in verse 8, and then we'll focus on verses 19 to 23. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, uh, you'll find our passage on page 923, 923. Beginning in verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have allowed us to have this recording of the birth and expansion of your church in the first century. We thank you, Lord, for this authoritative word that you have given us by your Holy Spirit through Luke. 
And Father, we pray that as we consider now what you have to say to us from your word, we pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged and challenged, that we ourselves would be faithful Christians and disciples, that we would be faithful evangelists, and that we would be faithful to disciple others. Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you for the example of Barnabas. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to advance your kingdom, even as they do here in Lystra. Lord, teach us by their example. We pray that you would be glorified in our time together. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. Well, this morning, Jesse led us in prayer uh, for Andy and Eileen Sanders. Uh, Andy is one of the elders that serves here at our church. And he and Eileen are on a two-week missionary trip right now to Serbia. Over the last year, Andy and I have been helping lead our missions reading group on Wednesday night. And one of the things that Andy consistently reminds us of is Jesus' parable of the lost treasure. You may be familiar with this parable. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. There Jesus declares, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. As we think about that parable, we can imagine that the treasure that that man discovered in the field must have been some kind of treasure. Because Jesus tells us he didn't sell all his possessions reluctantly or begrudgingly, but with joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field that possesses the treasure. Can you imagine that garage sale? Someone comes up to the front, you know, and the person who owns the house and comes there and he says to him, there's a sign out in front of the yard. It says everything is for sale. Do you really mean everything? And he says, yes, I mean everything. He says, you mean, you mean the TVs and the sofas? You mean your wife's jewelry? You mean the car, the house, everything is for sale? And he says with a grin on his face, yes, everything. Now how is that possible? How could he, with joy, be willing to let go of everything? Well, of course, he has the big smile on his face because the treasure in the field is so far superior to anything he presently owns. In fact, the treasure in the field is so far superior to the sum of all the things that he owns. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like that treasure. That it's so far superior in worth and beauty and glory to anything that we could currently possess or imagine. And therefore, we also, with joy, should be willing to sell our possessions, to suffer loss, to endure whatever hardships necessary in order to attain the incomparable inheritance of the kingdom of God. In many ways, Paul's first missionary journey is a real-life example. It's a real-life illustration of this truth. Paul states it this way in chapter 14, verse 22. If you look there in the text in verse 22, and I believe this is the key to understanding this passage, 
Paul says there, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is true for the Christian missionary. This is true for all Christians. The kingdom of God is of inestimable value. But the path leading to the kingdom will include tribulations and hardships and difficulties. I want us to see in our text how Paul himself experienced these tribulations, how he was sustained through these tribulations, and then how he helped strengthen others in tribulation. Now, my goal originally this morning was to consider all three of those, but as I was working through the passage and developing the message this morning, I realized it's going to take too long. So what we're going to do this morning is look at the first two, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the third. So, what I want us to see this morning in our text, two main points, is Paul experiences tribulation. We see that in verse 19. Secondly, Paul is sustained through tribulation, verses 20 and 21. And then in the weeks to come, we will look at Paul strengthens those in tribulation, which is verses 21 to 23. First of all, look at verse 19. Paul experiences tribulation. There we read, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, of course, last week we looked at the beginning uh, section here in Paul's ministry to Lystra, verses 8 through 18. And we saw uh, there, we left Paul really in Lystra, and he uh, had healed a crippled man. And as a result of healing the crippled man, the citizens of Lystra wanted to worship him and Barnabas as gods, as Hermes and Zeus. But Luke records here that while Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra and they are trying to prevent the city from worshiping them as gods, there's something else going on kind of behind the scenes. There are Jews who have come from uh, Antioch and Iconium, and these are two locations that Paul and Barnabas had been at previously. These Jews had opposed them there, and now they have traveled some a hundred miles all the way to Lystra to oppose them in Lystra and to put an end to their ministry. And notice Luke records there in verse 19 that they were successful in persuading the crowds to oppose Paul and Barnabas. As a result, the crowds stone Paul and drag him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, later on, Paul in his ministry will write to the church in Corinth. And when he writes to the church in Corinth, he writes to them about the many sufferings that he endured in his missionary travels. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, he writes, Once I was stoned. And surely Paul is referring to this incident here in Lystra when a violent mob stoned him to the brink of death. In fact, there's another place in Paul's writings when he refers to this incident. He is writing his letter to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. 
Of course, here as he's writing to Timothy, Paul is reflecting back to these events here in Acts 13 and 14. He's reflecting back on his first missionary journey and the sufferings that he endured in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And of course, the culmination of those sufferings when his opposition conspired together in Lystra to stone him and to kill him. And so what we see here is from Luke's record in Acts, as well as from Paul's larger writings, there is no doubt that Paul consistently and repeatedly endured tribulation and hardship and persecution on his first missionary journey. You know, sometimes when we experience hardship or persecution or difficulty, we fear, well, maybe I'm on the wrong track. Maybe this is an indication that I've lost my way. And that's possible. But we see here clearly that sometimes hardship and persecution and difficulty is actually an indicator that we are, in fact, on the right track, that we are on the path to the kingdom. The persecution that Paul experiences here, though, is distinct in a particular way. Of course, we see Paul being persecuted in various places at various times, but there's a distinct nature about the persecution that he experiences here in Lystra. Of course, we note the violent nature of this event, and it's jarring. I mean, it's horrible to think of the possibility of folks stoning us to the point of death. But at the same time, I think the thing that really stands out here in terms of the persecution that Paul experienced in Lystra is the dramatic change that took place in the people of Lystra. The dramatic change that took place in their disposition and attitude towards Paul and Barnabas. Did you catch that? Did you see it in the text? Notice in verses 11 and 12 we read, They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. And then notice in verse 13 we see that the priest of Zeus himself wanted to offer sacrifices to them with the crowds. But then notice, just go down a few verses in verse 19 and we read, The Jews persuaded the crowds. That word crowds there is the same word that's actually used back in verse 13 when it speaks of the priest of Zeus wanting to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas with the crowds. Now the Jews have persuaded the crowds and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. In other words, in one moment, the citizens of Lystra wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods and in the next moment, they wanted to stone them as criminals. A similar event actually occurs in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Remember Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 4, Luke records that Jesus attended the local synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he reads this messianic prophecy from the scroll of Isaiah. And then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, we read, And all spoke of him well and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Jesus then, though, went on to refuse to do any miracles there at the synagogue and in his hometown. He made the pronouncement that a prophet is not accept, accepted in his hometown. And then we read in verses 28 and 29 of that same chapter, When they heard these words... 
all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Like the citizens of Lystra, you see what's happening here in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The, the citizens or, or, or the folks who were attending the synagogue in Nazareth that day turned on Jesus in a moment. And now, at one moment, they were marveling at his gracious words, and in the next moment, they were ready to kill him. They were ready to throw him off of a cliff. They were ready to stamp him out. What do we learn from these accounts? What do we learn from these accounts about the Christian life and about Christian ministry? Well, very simply put, we learn that people can be fickle. They can love us one moment and want to have nothing to do with us the next. And look, we should acknowledge that sometimes a change in disposition or attitude towards a particular person or a Christian leader may be warranted. Maybe there was a person or a Christian leader who was faithful to the Lord, but now they've rejected the authority of Scripture. Perhaps they're pursuing an unrepentant life of sin and they're leading others astray. But of course, that's not the case with Paul and Barnabas and Lystra. And surely it's not the case with the Lord Jesus in Nazareth. And we can all be fickle sometimes, can't we? Every one of us, including myself. But it's difficult when you're on the receiving end of that fickleness. How do we handle that in life? How do we handle that in Christian ministry? Again, the Lord Jesus points us in the right direction. In John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, John records these words. Now, when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man." You see, the key there to that text is that Jesus did not entrust himself to them. And why did he not do so? Because he knew all people, for he himself knew what was in man. And what did Jesus know about us? What did he know that's in us? What does he know that's in man? He knew that people are fickle. He knew that we're weak. That people can be inconsistent and unpredictable and unreliable and temperamental. And so in Christian ministry, like Paul and Barnabas here, like the Lord Jesus, we should love people and serve people and care for people. We should allow ourselves to be vulnerable with people and serve them. But we must also realize that the final assessment of our Christian lives and the final assessment of our Christian ministries does not lie with other people's vacillating opinions about us, but rather in who God says that we are and in his assessment of our ministries. It is remarkable as we think about Paul's ministry in Lystra that Paul was not hindered either by the praise and adulation of the people nor by the opposition and resistance of the people. Whether they praised him as a god or they stoned him as a criminal, Paul remained steadfast and he remained faithful. Because he was not ultimately living to please others, but to please the Lord. 
We see here, first of all, in our text that Paul experiences tribulation. And that tribulation in particular comes with the changing, vacillating opinions of the people that he's ministering to and them turning against him. Secondly, though, we see that Paul is sustained through tribulation. Paul is sustained through tribulation. Look there at verses 20 and 21. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. And we're going to stop there and we'll pick up the rest of the verses next week. But let's look at these verses I just read. I don't believe, as we see here in verse uh, 20, I don't believe that we should view Paul's recovery from the stoning as a miracle. Some have suggested that maybe this was a miracle, that Paul had actually died and then was raised from the dead. But Luke's intentional, actually, in verse 19 to state that his attackers dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead, thinking him to be dead. However, Paul's recovery here is a clear example of the Lord's providential care and protection in his life. The Lord allowed Paul to be stoned, and at the same time, the Lord preserved Paul's life through this terrible experience. Paul's enemies intended to kill him, but God had purpose to preserve him. Henry Martin, who was a missionary to India and Persia, and who died at the young age of 31 years old, wrote this in his journal in January of 1812. Quote, to all appearance, the present year will be more perilous than any I have seen. But if I live to complete the Persian New Testament, my life after that will be of less importance. But whether life or death be mine, may Christ be magnified in me. If he has work for me to do, I cannot die. End of quote. That phrase, if he has work for me to do, I cannot die, was later reworked and recast kind of famously as, I am immortal until Christ's work for me to do is done, end of quote. And my friends, this is a remarkable truth, but it's a truth that is, that is real for every Christian, for every Christian servant and minister Even if the fiercest of enemies sets themselves against us, even if the worst of foes purposes to kill us, ultimately our lives are in the hands of God. And if God has work for us to do, we cannot die. He will preserve us. He will keep us, even as He preserved and sustained Paul here. And notice there was more work for Paul to do. In a shocking turn of events, you see here, they drag him out of the city, they leave him for dead, but Paul then gets up and returns back to the city from which he has just been drug out. We notice there in the text, though, he doesn't stay for very long. We're told that the next day, he goes 60 miles southeast to the city of Derbe. And notice, Luke records there, and this is the ministry that the Lord had for the Apostle Paul, right? He preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. He could not die, for the Lord still had work for him to do. Here we see God sustaining, preserving providential care in Paul's life. But there's something else for us to see here in this verse. Notice as well how God sustained and preserved Paul through this near-death experience. 
Look there at verse 20 again. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, do, did you catch that there? What came before Paul rising up and entering into the city? Did you notice it? When the disciples gathered about him. So there were some in the city of Lystra who had come to believe the gospel who had come to trust in the Lord Jesus. Paul had preached to them, he had taught them, he had ministered to them, and isn't this beautiful? Now they have the opportunity to minister to him, and they do. And we can imagine that as they gathered around the Apostle Paul, they would have tended to his wounds and his injuries, they would have prayed over him and for him, they would have physically helped him and assisted him back into the city, And it's likely that as they cared for Paul in this public way, that they put a target on themselves, right? As they associated themselves with the Apostle Paul, they were putting themselves in a position where the opponents of Paul might in future days target them with scorn and ridicule and persecution. But nonetheless, they boldly, they courageously step out to care for Paul. They gather around him, minister to him in this way. And this is the means that God uses to preserve Paul. We see a principle at play here. One of the primary ways that God will sustain us and preserve us through tribulations and the difficulties that we experience in this life on the way to the kingdom is through the disciples gathering about us. This is true of all Christians. It's true of Christian leaders as well, as we see here with the Apostle Paul. I mean, we might think, you know, Paul is just so tough and rugged and persevering, and, and, and he just seems to go and go and go and never give up. But we see here that Paul needed the encouragement, the strength of other believers, other disciples. In 2019, Josh Vincent, who is the pastor of Centerville Baptist Church in Centerville, Virginia, wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition, and he wrote this article very shortly after the death of his wife. He was only 38 years old when his wife died, and he and his wife had three boys, ages 12, 10, and 7. His wife had died after a a seven-and-a-half-year battle with cancer. In this article, he writes movingly about the profound grief that he experienced in those early days after his wife's death. And then he concludes the article with these words, quote, and yet the greatest gift in all of this has been the experience of desperately needing to be seen, then being seen and drawn in by the body of Christ. It's life-giving to be seen in my brokenness and yet still be embraced, not rejected by Christ's body. It has served as a healing balm, end of quote. So here we have a a Christian leader who has ministered to others for years. And in the moment of his greatest loss, what happens? The disciples gathered about him. And he was sustained and preserved and kept. We all need this at times. Every Christian needs this, including Christian leaders. 
That includes our community group leaders, our deacons, our elders, anyone who might be in a position of leadership. But this is true for all disciples. Now, I know it's true for me, just personally as a Christian. It's true for me also as a Christian leader and leader here at Crawford Avenue. The Lord has been so good and kind to me at various times in my life where I've faced difficulties or hardships that others within our own church body have gathered around me and cared for me and encouraged me and helped sustain me. It's true for you as a Christian as well. It's vital to your Christian discipleship. One of the ways that God intends to sustain you and preserve you through the tribulations that you will experience on your way to the kingdom is for His disciples, His people, to gather around you and to help you. It's why church membership is so important. Actually, next week we'll be hosting again our Blueprint class, which is our new members class. And I would encourage you that if you've been attending our church and you're not yet a member, I'd encourage you to sign up and attend that class and plan to pursue membership. If we want the disciples of Jesus to gather around us in the time of our need, then we must be willing to identify with those disciples, both formally in church membership and also practically through ongoing participation and investment in the relational life of the church. Listen to what John Stott says at this point. John Stott says, quote, I sometimes hear old people, including Christian people who should know better, say I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. I'm happy to carry on living so long as I can look after myself, but as soon as I become a burden, I would rather die. But this is wrong. We are all designed to be a burden to others. You are designed to be a burden to me. And I am designed to be a burden to you. And the life of the family, including the life of the local church family, should be one of mutual burdensomeness. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. I wonder if there's someone right now that, even now in our congregation, around whom you need to gather Maybe you need to get someone else and have them go along with you. And you need to gather around so that you might carry their burdens, so that you might express concern, so that you might pray, so that you might support, so that you might encourage. God worked through His people and sustained the Apostle Paul through tribulation. As we've seen Paul experience tribulation, as we've seen him sustained through tribulation by providential care and the care of God's people, next week we will consider that Paul then strengthens those in tribulation. Before we do that, though, I want to point you back to the key item, I think, in our text this morning, and that is, again, verse 22, where Paul says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And I just want to point out this, that, of course, Paul's words here are an echo of the Lord Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. There, Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, let me clarify something here. It's not that taking up our cross 
It's not that enduring uh, tribulations merits or earns us a place in the kingdom of God. That would be a false gospel. Jesus died on the cross to purchase us a place in the kingdom. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus paid it in full so that through faith in Him, we can be forgiven and a place in the kingdom is secured for us. But understand this, my friends. In a fallen and broken world that is set in opposition to God, when we follow the Lord Jesus, when we love others like Jesus loved others, when we share the good news of the gospel like Jesus shared the good news of the gospel, we can be sure that it is inevitable that we will have our own crosses to bear and our own tribulations to endure. So it's not that taking up the cross or enduring tribulations earns our way into the kingdom. It's that taking up our cross and enduring tribulations is inevitable. It is inevitable that we will experience on our way to the kingdom. But here's the good news. If we trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior, as we, if we follow Him as Lord, God will keep us. He will sustain us. He will do so by His providential care. Remember, I am immortal until Christ worked for me to do is done. And He will do so in part too through His people He will keep us as we do life in the gathering of His people, His disciples, the church. And here's the really good news. In the end, we get the kingdom. The kingdom of God, which is of inestimable value. We get life in the presence of God under His loving rule and reign and protection for all eternity. May we be faithful as we pursue the way of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word and we thank You, Lord, for the honesty of Your Word. Lord, we thank You that You have not misled us, that You have stated very clearly to us that this life will include, and a life of faithfulness to Jesus will include tribulations and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. But Father, we thank You that on that way, on that path, You have not left us to ourselves. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to Jesus and to be faithful to His mission to your mission to make disciples of all nations. Father, as we do, we pray, Lord, that you would watch over us, that you would keep us, that you would sustain us. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us one another as well so that we can encourage one another along the way, so that we can help each other in those times of difficulty. Father, take this word now and apply it to our hearts. And we pray that you would be worshiped and praised and glorified even now as we remember the perfect sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood for our salvation and redemption. And it's in his name we pray.